Yo, what is going on, Sleeper Nation? We're back with another redraft episode. Today, we're going to be talking about your early round bust, the guys to avoid, let somebody else make the mistake of drafting, and then we're going to be talking about the late round sleepers, the guy you guys should be going for, making sure everybody else doesn't pick up, and of course, set aside that championship run. Of course, you know me by Natter. Of course, the Sleeper Wire host, Sheehan, is still on vacation. I believe he's in New Jersey as of right now, soaking up on the boardwalk, having a good time. But don't be afraid. I have a couple of pros right beside me. Right now, I have Chris Allen, contributor at 4 for 4, the football guys in NBC Sports Edge. I mean, hey, Chris, how you doing? I'm doing all right, man. I really appreciate y'all bringing me on tonight. And uh, I know we've only got a couple weeks left before the season, but to be quite honest, with all of the stuff that we keep seeing on social media day in and day out, I'm ready for these games to start like right now, man. I'm, I'm for real. We've got just nothing but hot takes. Everybody trying to scramble to uh, use any of the preseason knowledge that they think is going to stick into the early parts of the season as justification for taking this person or that person or whatever. I'm just ready for the games to start so we can actually sit down, watch football, and talk about real information, real stuff that we can take and try and inform ourselves as to how we can manage our teams throughout the uh, 2021 season. So I'm ready to get these games started. Let's go. Yeah, I mean, you know, if you you open up Twitter right now, it'll be kind of like, you know, those little packets that you got as a a kid, those fill in the blanks, and then it'll give you like a story or a sentence. Yeah. I have to do just fill up like a verb, adjective, noun, and all that. That's what I feel like Twitter has become. Right now, they just fill up a noun, fill up an adjective, fill up a little, you know, uh, put in a name. And then all of a sudden, that's what you get. You get a little hot take. And then, you know, people either eat it up or you have some other analysts kind of dispute that. And you have a little bit of argument back and forth there. Mm -hmm. I'm going to have to agree with you right now. I just want football to come. I want some actual statistics. I want some actual analytics to come out. And then just enjoy the game right now. That's where I'm at. So I did some Instagram stalking on, not Instagram, sorry, Twitter stalking on you, Chris. And it says that you have like brewery. In your little tag bio. I want to hear about that best. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm another one of my hobbies because I almost consider fantasy football like my second job or like I got like one and a half jobs. But um, home brewing is the thing I do on the side. Uh, it's really just one of those things that I got started doing it about eh, 12-ish, 13-ish years ago. And it's just kind of like grown from there in terms of understanding more about the process, making more like experimenting with different recipes making things that I like and trying to incorporate just like wild stuff into it, like adding fruit or pumpkin and all that stuff into beers just to see like what the taste would be like. Uh, I've done some competitions uh, like we were talking before the show. I was actually down in Cincinnati uh, last weekend for a home brewing competition, not because I want to compete or anything like that. It's just more of, it's just a way to get a whole bunch of folks that are also in the, like that also do the hobby to get them all together. Just talk about, the different things that we've tried sharing knowledge and also sharing beer. It's an easy way to, you know, spend like, it's like 20 bucks to get into the tournament. And then after that, you can drink for free afterwards. You can sample everybody else's beer. So Mm -hmm. it's just an easy way to, you know, meet other people that, you know, also enjoy doing the hobby and share that knowledge with other folks. And then, you know, after that, it's just a good way to, you know, get out and see what else is going on, like in the, in the quote unquote industry. So I have a blast doing it. It's, Again, just something that I like to do on the side, like for myself and like to share with other folks. I've sent growlers to pretty much anybody that asks. And I'm more than happy to mail you a growler as long as you send it back. So it's just my way to share just a, something that I create with the rest of the group. 
Yo, Chris, I heard your picks usually stout and they don't really go sour. You know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, they, hey, I try. I mean, I absolutely try. And uh, I mean, but if you're ever interested, man, just like, you know, shoot me a note. I'll be more than happy to, to send you what I got. All right. Of course, that was the Deanster, the Don Corleone. He has been on a handful of times. I'm sure everybody knows him by now. Uh, how long does it take to brew a beer? Uh, only like about, uh, well, it depends like what type of your brewing or whatever, but like for you to get to the point where you're ready to pitch your yeast and start primary fermentation, uh, about like five ish hours, five to six hours is about what you would need in order to, you know, collect all your water, get through just like the mash and all that good stuff. And then get it down to where you have nothing but your fermentable sugars. You got your hops added and, and whatnot. And then you're ready to pitch your yeast. So yeah, about like six hours or so before you get to the point where it's everything's ready to go. And then you can just be done. Maybe tack on an extra half hour to just clean up everything. But that's about it. Huh, that's not even that bad. I was expecting like a couple months in order to no, do everything. No, 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 no. I mean, there are some recipes that some folks do. I mean, if you want to talk about like start to like completely finish and you're ready to serve, there are some that folks will take time after everything's fermented out. And they try and like age it, you know, um, like uh, what's the one that they do that uh, bourbon barrel age like type stuff like those types of beers. They can take a little bit longer. They could take a few weeks in order to get them to the point where, you know, the taste that you're trying to like the additional taste that you're trying to impart into the beer can actually like get into it. But other than that, yeah, typically about, you know, five to six hours for you to brew. You wait about a week or so for primary fermentation to be done maybe another three to four days in order to uh, carbonate it so that it's ready to actually serve and you can drink it. So all in all, maybe two weeks from complete start to finish where you're pouring your beer and then you taste it and then everything's good after that. You can get drunk. That's crazy. That's wild. That's actually super cool. It's always hearing, it's always great hearing guests and then hearing their side hobbies and stuff they like <laughs> yeah. to do because it, it, it's wild. I believe we had a guest who, uh, was a, a, a tr- an actor and trainer, a trainer that is an actor who kind of trains Whoa. people for fight scenes. In well, movies. And I was, I was like, wow, that's so cool. And that's crazy. And that's something that like you'll never hear or expect out of some people. Right. But of course, yeah. But of course we got Toby from Z2 fantasy He's sitting there patiently in the corner. How are you doing over there? I'm pretty good. Thanks for having me. Of course, Z2 or Toby is a graphic designer for Real Deal Fantasy, Chipple Play Fantasy, and of course, the Rum Boys Fantasy Network. That's super cool. So I've tried stuff like video editing, uh, graphic designing, um, and uh, I, I suck at it, first of <laughs> all. And two, what program do you use? Uh, I do all mine for, straight from my phone. So I use two different apps from my phone. I've never, I've, people ask me all the time if I use Photoshop or anything, but I've never use Photoshop at all. And I just kind of taught myself. I didn't really get into like fantasy community wanting to do it, but I always, when I started, I always wanted like an image under my content. So I started doing myself and then just fantasy started, started fantasy sites just started hitting me up for images and wanting to see if I'd work with them. So I just kind of like took it and ran. ran. That's so cool. That's so cool. All right. And of course, like, like I said earlier, Devin, the Don Corleone seven on Twitter. Of course, we're going to link everybody's Twitter, mention it, shout it out. Of course, Chris Allen's is Chris Allen FFWX and Toby's is Z2 and then fantasy right after that. But of course, on today's episode, we're going to be talking about, like I mentioned, the, the bus and the sleepers. We have some in between the lines and of course, the wise words of wisdom. All right. So this one's usually Sheehan's forte. 
And, uh, you know, I, I don't want to hit, I didn't want to do him dirty and disrespect him. So I had him pick out the quotes for me. And of course, I'm going to read them out to you guys. And then you guys are going to give me your input. So we'll start it off with, uh, you know, uh, Zach Wilson on Corey Davis. He's a great player. I have a lot of trust in him and all his one on one routes that he's going to get open. And, you know, I have, I hope that he has trust in me that I'm going to get him the ball. So we're going to start it off with Chris. What's your input on this? You got anything for me on this? Now, I'm actually expecting big things for Corey Davis. Now, I know that some folks that were invested in Corey Davis from the jump have pretty much been burned to the point of no return at the uh, waiting for Corey Davis to essentially break out after I know for the dynasty folks, he was a first round pick like when he came out of college and everybody expected big things for him then. And it's basically been what, four or five years for us to really see the production that we were expecting out of him. But I wasn't a part of that group. I really wasn't into a dynasty at that point. So I didn't really like feel that sting. So after watching what he was capable of doing last year down in Tennessee with an efficient passer in Ryan Tannehill, he's sitting there with at least an 18 to 20% target share alongside AJ Brown working out of both the working at the perimeter and the slot. He was a top 20, at the very least a top 24 like wide receiver, which was actually somewhat of a shock, but I don't see why his role in New York should really be any different. I mean, I know that some folks would want to say that he operates best alongside an elite wide receiver, which is what we saw him do against AJ Brown, but we're already seeing at least some flashes of that from Elijah Moore, how much uh, more can be moved around the, around the formation. I mean, they've talked about working him at both, I mean, flanker split end, moving him into the slot. So if not at the beginning of the season, probably towards the end of the season, we can see more emerge as that primary uh, defensive attention like type of player that would really help like Corey Davis shine. But regardless, how much money have they paid like Corey Davis? Well, like $27 million, if I'm not mistaken, that he was one of the highest paid free agents, at least from a wide receiver perspective, like over the offseason. And now if we're looking at the offensive scheme that he's now a part of in New York, it's the same type of install that the 49ers like have, are used out west. We're looking at nothing but just these wide zones, like for players to do a ton of damage after the catch. That's exactly what Corey Davis could be, or like what he, uh, what he, uh, he's most effective at. So I think there's really nothing to, I guess, be concerned about when we're looking at Corey Davis, like for this upcoming season. So I'm excited for him, to be quite honest. Oh yeah, of course. Now uh, I was huge on Elijah Moore coming out, and I spent my first round draft pick on him. Uh, in dynasty. And, uh, you know, I, I think I have to temper a little expectations on him with how Corey Davis has been playing throughout the preseason. Now I had, a uh, we, we, I've gone in a lot of debates between Elijah Moore and Rashad Bateman, and it's always been pretty heated because mm-hmm. I know a lot of people are big on Rashad Bateman. And I, I'm saying like, Hey, you, you can't doubt the scheme that the Jets are going to have this offense. Cause I mean, they're, the, the, their offensive coordinator was, you know, under Sean McVay, Shanahan, LaFleur. It's going to have a lot of opportunity to succeed that, in my opinion, that a Ravens offense is not going to have the opportunity to. So, Toby, do you have any input? Uh, I agree with everything Chris said. My only input is in redraft, I think Corey Davis is still being so undervalued. Mm-hmm. I've seen in a couple of redraft leagues where people are still taking Elijah Moore over him. And I don't think that should be the case because I think, Elijah Moore is a rookie, so he's. I think he's going to start slow, kind of like a Justin Jefferson did last year. But even looking at Corey Davis into the future with Michael Fuller, who's now the OC in New York that Sala brought over from San Francisco, we see these big jumps in a year two of offenses that have that zone scheme. 
kind of like Kirk Cousins in Minnesota when Stefanski was still there. Uh, Matt Ryan, uh, when he had his MVP tear, they were running his own scheme. So I'm interested in Corey Davis also in Dynasty in a sense as like a cheap guy because he broke out so late, his value's still down. Because in year two, these quarterbacks still uh, just have such a jump if you look at numbers historically in his own scheme, and that just benefits Corey Davis even more. Mm-hmm. Corey Davis, now he, he's been in the league for quite a bit. He's only 26 years old. Yeah. I think he's going into year seven. Yeah, he's, he's that sounds 20, about right, yeah. He's 26 years old. He, he's not old by any means. He actually has a lot of years ahead of him. For reference, A.J. Brown is 24 years old. And, you know, he was he's still a you know, 30-year rookie almost. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> Don, Mr. David, Corleone, what do you have for me? Yeah, when I think of Corey Davis, I was one of those guys that kept getting burnt by him. And when burnt, his name's Corey Davis, like CD, because he's played out. I'm on the other end of it. I like I like the offense with Zach Wilson because he's looking so sharp during this preseason. But if I had to take a pick, I'd probably go around 14th round, uh, Jameson Crowder, over a 10th round, Corey Davis, 11th round, Elijah Moore. Um, I see what you're saying, and I, I definitely think there's some upside there, and he has been playing pretty well. But if I had to take a pick of that Jets offense, I'm going to go Jameson Crowder. Always passes the eye test on field. He's a baller, and he's going to be a safety valve for this new rookie quarterback coming in. How long is he going to be on the field, though? He only played 13 games last last year, and he does have a little bit of a history getting banged up. It's hard to say. Injuries, you just never know. Yeah. But, you know, injuries, you never know. But as far as what I see while he's on the field in regular season, I just, I'm always impressed by Jamison Crowder. Yes. Now, I've been kind of trying to stay away from talking about Corey Davis because I've been wanting him in all my redraft leagues also. Uh, so, and then now he's starting to get a lot of hype around him, and I'm going, oh man, he's climbing up the ADP charts now. Yeah. It just, if you want to spend a 10th round, 9th round pick on a Corey Davis, you can do that. But I think Value Town's going to be in 14, 15, going with the J, J crowd, the Clam Crowder. All right. This one might be a little bit hard for me to quote. All right. All right. Give me give me a try or two right here. All right. So supporting Tad Johnson. Do y'all fucking see Devontae Smith off the line, off the goddamn scrimmage? Holy pigeon shit. That mofo gonna be nice. No, I think that Devonta Smith, like when he came out, I can understand like why folks had their concerns with Devonta Smith. Just the size concerns. I a hundred percent understand because what he was what, a buck eighty? probably a buck 85 wet. And yeah, if correct. you compare him historically to other receivers that have come out, what we just had Marquise Brown that like come out, not like one, two years like prior to him. And it's just, it's hard for us to get behind smaller wide receivers, regardless of their athletic talents. Cause we always knew that, you know, speed was a part of his calling card that it'd be difficult for us to see him as a, not even as a ancillary receiver in an offense but like the primary receiver in an offense and that's essentially what the eagles have drafted him to be because we have almost no faith in Jalen Rager at this point jj ortega whiteside i mean he can get on out of here with I mean, any of that noise travis fulgham uh, any of those other players or any of those other wide receivers that are currently on the team it's just there really wasn't any sort of consistency with that with that receiver core so devonta smith falls into that alpha role like on the team if you i mean if you don't want to count you know dallas goddard and zach Ertz, but i still think that with his ability to beat not just like man coverage i mean not just zone coverage but he can also beat press coverage 
we've seen a number of videos coming out of camp, like when he has been healthy, just putting corners in a blender, breaking ankles like left and right, that there's at least enough there that he should be able to succeed at the NFL level, if not off of his like release techniques that we're already seeing. But at the very least, he should be able to use his speed. Like once he does get that respect of a primary wide receiver, which I think shortly after, I mean, shortly after he gets, you know, first few weeks into the league and everybody kind of sees like what he's capable of doing, like up against like, you know, real, like uh, some of the larger corners, even some of the faster corners in the league that could possibly keep up with him. I think we'll actually start to see him emerge as a primary receiver in the league. No, you know, you mentioned Marquise, uh, sorry, uh, Sorry, the uh, the Ravens oh, wide Brown? receiver, Marcus yeah. Brown. There his, his name eluded me for a half a second. He is five nine and one eighty two pounds, and then we have now Devontae Smith. He is six feet and one eighty five. So there's a two inch difference between the two, and almost no weight difference. If a Marquise Brown thing is speed, but you know it's the NFL, everybody's fast, right? Is there a difference between the two that makes you go, oh, he's going to be a bust, but he's not? I think it's just in the way that they were used in college. Like Marquise Brown, like his calling card was more of those like deeper routes. Like if you go back and watch like his connection with Kyler Murray, like when they were still both in college, they were more, there was those deep routes that like Kyler Murray could scramble in the backfield, do his best Russell Wilson impression. And then Marquise Brown would be there. And even some of the drag routes that they were using, I think that was more of his calling card as well. Like just gain that quick separation, go across the middle of the field, Kyler hit you off to the races. Now with Devonta Smith, down at Alabama, there was more creativity being used with him. He had a more diverse route tree. And so while he was more successful on some of the intermediate routes and deeper routes, because the corners that he was playing against, he could just roll right by him. I think Devonta Smith's route tree was so much more diverse that I think that translates more to the NFL. Whereas with Marquise Brown, his route tree was a little bit more limited. And that's why we've seen him struggle over the last year or so, because the Ravens don't have that primary X receiver that can draw away like some of that like primary defensive attention. And that's why, I mean, it's really taken quite a bit for Marquise Brown to really like be a, let's say even like, you know, viable fantasy asset on a week to week basis. So that's why I think like Devonta Smith, like the way, like his ability to uh, release off the line, his ability to like beat coverage on a more consistent basis. That's what puts him ahead of Marquise Brown at the same speed, but like this technique already as a wide receiver puts him, I think at least, at least one, if not two steps ahead of Brown for sure. Mm-hmm. Now I also, in Brown's defense, I also think the quarterback's ability to throw the ball also hinders him quite a bit considering uh, his ability to throw outside the numbers is extremely lacking. But of course, Toby, do you have any input? Uh, I want to reiterate what Chris said about the Marquise Brown comparison. If you just watch Smith and camp off the line, Marquise Brown was not doing that his rookie year either. Marquise Brown wins at the line of scrimmage, even at his body weight. And it's really weird to see because he looks so skinny and getting pressed up like that, but he can still win off the line at a great rate. But I'm, I'm bullish on the whole Eagles offense as a whole, just from watching them in the preseason. I don't think Sirianni's doing a great job on calling that offense in a sense. So I don't, Chad Johnson can say all he wants about Devontae Smith, but I'm still a little weary on taking an Eagles player this year mm-hmm. uh-huh. in fantasy. Now, a lot of people are talking about uh, – I've seen people say, oh, Justin Jefferson is a very skinny guy also. But Justin Jefferson, he's over 200 pounds. Uh, you know, he, he's got a little bit to him. You know, he's not quite the skinny – I mean, he's a little bit thinner, but he's not quite skinny. 
Mr. Corleone, what you got for me? Yeah, I mean, they played with each other in college as far as their quarterback and wide receiver situation goes. Um, this is the type of offense you really want to be looking for that gold mine in. No one solidified the number one spot. They haven't done it for years. Someone needs to step up, and it could be this kid. Um, obviously a Heisman winner. Uh, and as far as how I feel about why he's getting such a uh, downplay, I think a lot of it has to do to size bias. I mean, you look at like Aaron Jones, everyone doesn't want to believe in him because he's just too small. He's going to get hurt. Always puts out. Same with the Clyde Edwards-Solaire. I feel like a lot of his draft capital goes down because they just think he's a small guy. I mean, they have to prove everyone wrong. I mean, he's a wide receiver. He's not a very physical position, although they do have, you know, some physicality. I just don't feel like it's going to be as much as people think. So um, I don't I don't know if I want him. Uh, it's up in the air, but someone's going to be catching that ball on that offense, and it might be the person that the college quarterback had the connection with. So we'll see. I'm up on the I'm up in the air about this one. I think uh, I think a good comparison to him in a fantasy sense is we look at Justin Jefferson from last year. I'm not saying he's going to replicate, but Justin Jefferson got dropped in the first three weeks because he didn't do anything. And mm-hmm. we may could see that in Philly where he's sitting on your wire come week four, week five, and then mm. he blows up and he's getting picked again, picked up again. I'm not saying he's going to replicate the amazing season Jefferson had, but I think it could be valuable in that sense. Uh huh. Now I do want to say I actually am one of the people that dropped Justin Jefferson week three. Uh, but it, you know, in, in my defense, a lot of people it was it, yeah, in my defense. Yeah. It's because I own Christian McCaffrey and Kenny Galladay, and they both got hurt. And you know, I had to make a business decision. Somebody had to go on that hey, IR. Somebody had to say, you know, and I of course I didn't know Kenny Galladay was going to sit the whole year after that. So you know, somebody <laughs> took the IR. Somebody yeah. you know had to stash on the roster, and I, it, it was a business decision. It hurt, but you know. That's the way the cookie crumbles sometimes. So uh, let's move on to Kirk Cousins on the talk with uh, Dr. Michael, uh, his tough name, All-Star Home. You know, he he came into the Vikings because I know the Vikings, I think, have the lowest COVID vaccination rate. And uh, this is what Kirk Cousins had to say. Uh, It was a great meeting. It was very informative. And uh, it is what it is. So uh, um, I don't think he swayed anybody's opinion. But, Chris, how do you feel about that? I mean – it's almost exactly that. Like my reaction to that story is the same as Kirk Cousins reaction to getting the information about taking the vaccine. It is what it is at that. At this point, if you don't know as as a fantasy manager, if you don't know who around the league is vaccinated or what their general stance is on vaccination, you better know before the season starts. We just, I mean, we literally like today, how many players, nine players from Tennessee. Yeah. From Tennessee have been sent home. Dallas was dealing with their own mini outbreak, what, like two, three days ago. I mean, there have been multiple in the Buffalo. I mean, the Bills, too, also dealing with their own mini outbreak. Four or five players got sent home. You know, Cole Beasley back on back on social media complaining about having wearing masks and all this other stuff. So like multiple teams are already dealing with you know, the, the COVID-19 you know issues and like the protocols that the league has handed down. So if Kirk Cousins wants to go that route, I mean, see how well that's working out for Cam Newton and how well it worked out for Cam Newton. Like not just like this, this off season, the fact that Cam Newton probably just lost his job because Mac Jones has looked better in camp over the time that he was away. But also what happened to Cam Newton last year after he caught COVID himself. I don't know what to say at this point. If, if that's their choice, then they need to be able to live with the consequences of that choice. And as fantasy managers, we need to be able to, I guess, protect ourselves from that choice as well. 
So if you don't want to draft Kirk Cousins, despite the fact that their first, I think the first like three, their first three games of the season are fairly good matchups. But if you want to avoid some of that on the chance that he might catch COVID and you might be, you know, out of a roster spot or out of a quarterback and you have to scramble, then if that forces you to draft somebody else, so be it. I, I wouldn't begrudge anybody for trying to, I guess, mitigate that risk by drafting somebody that they know has either been vaccinated or on a team that likely has a number of their players vaccinated so that risk is lessened. So it just it is what it is at this point. We're just trying to, I guess, make our moves based off of their decisions, and that's pretty much all we can do at this point. And, and that doesn't just affect Kirk Cousins. I mean, right. this affects Adam Thielen. This affects uh, Justin, Justin Jefferson, Jefferson. Cook. It, it affects all everybody. Yes, it affects it, everybody. All. So, I mean, yeah. how confident are you in the backup quarterback is going get, to get Justin Jefferson the ball? Kellen Mond? Uh, not, not, not that confident. You know, it, it really ruins everybody's fantasy value. Now, Shanahan on our boy Lance against Jimmy G. He says, I got a pretty good idea. But as you guys could see with everything, I don't know our schedule a couple of days from now. So I've always had a pretty good idea, but there's lots of days between now and then at every position. So he basically, so you know when your English teacher uh, says that an essay needs to be about like 500 words, but you know, you do it and then it ends up being like 200 words. So you just add like filler in between. Yeah, that that's exactly what uh, Kyle Shanahan did. He could have said, I don't know yet, but no, that's that's exactly what he said. This is the same dude that let the media run with them uh, uh, 49ers taking Mac Jones at three for however many months before, af- right after the draft. He was like, yeah, I mean, Trey Lance was always going to be the pick at number three. So I don't know what y'all were talking about. So I I can't put too much stock into whatever that man's talking about. It's just typical coach speak for me at this point. And for me, it's really just me looking at what – each quarterback on the 49ers offers to that starting offense. Like what does Jimmy Garoppolo offer to that offense that we don't already know? Right. I mean, does he really give them, I mean, the the best chance to win as compared to Trey Lance. Now don't get me wrong. I mean, Trey Lance, like despite the fact that he has looked good at times at other times, he looks like a 20, 21 year old rookie that only played in what three, four games last season, like before he wound up opting out. So it's like, okay, I can understand. I can take all that into context and be like, well, it looks like he needs reps. He needs practice. He needs to be out there in like real live game situations. And the preseason isn't necessarily going to get him the, I guess, the amount of experience that he's really going to need in order to get there to that level. But from a fantasy perspective, I want it to be Lance. I want it to be Lance, either Lance or I really want it to be Justin Fields that the 49ers take. But that's my bias because I'm from Ohio. But either way, I still think that we've seen the extent of what Jimmy Garoppolo offers that offense. So my only hope is that Kyle Shanahan knows that how much they've invested, traded up to number three overall in order to pick up Trey Lance. What Trey Lance can do, not just with the ball through the air, but through the ball, with the ball on the ground as well that he winds up just taking just taking Trey Lance and just riding with him from week one, and then we can really see what that offense can do with a mobile quarterback. Mm-hmm. Now, just a quick reference. Trey Lance has played 19 games in his NFL career, not just uh, you know last year you'd assume he'd play around 19 games. No, his whole college career he's played 19 games. He played one game in 2020, and that's about it. I am going to agree with you. He is uh, – I mean, while he's had flashes uh, – 
for watching the Niners game because you know people mostly know now I am a Niners fan. Uh, his pass protection subpar, um, mm-hmm. pass pass protection adjustment subpar, uh, ability to check down and just throw to the open receivers subpar. But he has had flashy plays, so people are willing to overlook it. He's taken too many sacks, so uh, right. he he showed that he has what it takes to be great. He still makes rookie mistakes, though. So uh, yeah. on that on that hand, I'm saying Jimmy G is going to be the starting quarterback, and uh, Jimmy G loses that job when he inevitably gets injured again. Toby, uh, I think Kyle Shanahan's turned it into Pete Carroll. We can't really <laughs> take too much into his words of what he's going to do. But I've said it. I've said it all along, just like you, Nader, uh, that Jimmy G is probably going to be the starter. But I gave it to price tag that's come with Jimmy G's name in the contract they gave him. And I feel like they're going to give him time to mess it up himself than just rather push Trey Lance. We all want to see Trey Lance just pushed into it. Like we wanted to see Justin Fields because we all know Justin Fields is a better quarterback than Andy Dalton. But we see teams year in and year out, just like Miami last year, they're going to give the veteran that time until his time's up, until they prove that he can't win or they don't look like they're good enough. Because Miami looked pretty damn good last year and they – took out Fitzpatrick and put in Tua. We could see the same thing in San Francisco where they want to change up the offense a little, get more mobile, but they can still have a good record. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I pin it down to if they're, say they're two and three coming into week six, I think they make the change. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, team is, that team's too good and that defense is too good not to have – Above 500 record. Right. I mean, I mean, uh, Jimmy G took him to a Super Bowl. I feel like uh, saying that he's going to have a subpar performance. Uh, I don't know. Uh, you know, we'll see. We'll find out. Seasons in two weeks about now. But right. Mr. Don, yeah, um, go Hawks. But uh, yeah, huh? as far as talking about the Niners, um, Jimmy G's like won 70 percent of his games. He started. I mean, that that's a winner. He obviously went to Super Bowl, like you said. But he's such a polarizing quarterback. Um, in comparison. And I think a lot of people remember that one 80 yard bomb to Trent Sherfield, but in that same game, he almost got picked off twice. It's so hard to trust a rookie, especially in our division, the NFC West. But I do feel like if he's not putting up the points, that offense is not moving. They are going to have to make that switch if they want to compete this year. And I do feel like you guys have a team that can compete. So um, with that all being said, um, I'm probably going to go Jimmy G this year. Um, but as far as upside, I mean, you have to go. Yeah, you have to go the other way. Mm-hmm. Now, Jimmy G has supported number one wide receivers in, you know, a, I guess he's a tight end, but, you know, he needs to put up wide receiver one numbers in Kittle. He has supported people like Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, uh, and then, of course, that running game, which is, which is a little bit of a mess. You know, uh, of course, we'll, we'll probably, we might dabble oh, really? in a little bit later. Yeah, it, it's always going to be a mess when you have a Shane Hand running back. Healthy. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's the yeah. That's, 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 that's why the offense didn't look good. No one was healthy. You know what? Yeah, exactly. No one was healthy. But for running back wise, I mean, they have about like five running backs on the depth chart that all can make an impact. Like you look at every single mm-hmm. one of those running backs, and every single one can have a couple carries that game. But basically, the Patriots all over again. Another unfortunate fantasy football death. But all right, let's move on to the wise words of wisdom. All right, so whenever you split a muffin with somebody, make sure you take the top half because that's where like all the flavor is and the good stuff is. The the, the bottom half of the muffin, that's like, you know, you just get bread. You basically just share bread. You don't want that. Right, guys? That's true. Yeah. Huh. I didn't even think about it. Yeah, see? All right. Why don't you just cut it? 
the other way. No, no, because because then you share the top half part. <laughs> okay. You don't you don't want to share the top. You want the good. Stuff. <laughs> okay. You just take okay. the top half. Yeah, yeah you just <laughs> take the top half. You get like the bread, the sprinkle. What I mean, uh, it depends. Sounds on like a bad fantasy trade right there. Yeah, well, so that's kind of rude, man. <laughs> to the other guy, maybe, but I mean, when you eat that muffin with the you know the, the chocolate chips, yeah. whatever type of muffin you got, you're like you're enjoying it. That well, trade now, definitely I mean, get beat in fantasy. I can tell you that, right? <laughs> now, if I see somebody hand me, you know, the bottom half of a of a muffin from here on out, we throwing hands. <laughs> now that I know that, top of the morning to you. <laughs> I mean, you still got half. I mean, it might not be the half you want, but but now you told me that's the bad half. Like I can't have that now. I look at the muffin is half full in that case. Oh. Well, I mean, now you know that's what I'm here, and that's what you're here for. You're listening to my wise words. All right, all right. So, of course, last what was it? A couple weeks ago, we had draft night out. And it was a huge success. Everybody loved it. Unfortunately, I was unable to go. But after all seeing, after seeing all those Twitter pictures, I was super jealous. And I was like, you know what? Next time they have one, I'm going. And turns out they're having another one. Top Golf is the location. Miami is the destination. And that's going to be the next draft night out, September 5th. How you could remember that? Because that's my birthday. And what better way to celebrate it? Miami. Fantasy football with a little golf. I think that's going to be phenomenal. I think, I hope everybody is able to come out, show out. Uh, I mean, we always try to stress that it's not for the analysts. We want analysts to go because, yeah, of course, we all like analysts, but this is most for the consumer, the Patreons, the people listening, the phenomenal viewers and yourselves. But other than that, hey, we got some busts in the first five rounds. And I know this is, difficult because i mean there's a lot of people we're high on and rounds one through five is everybody that's basically in must start category right i mean you might get some wide receiver twos some rb twos but they're going in your standard lineup regardless so you know of course there might be people that aren't necessarily busts but disappointing and i kind of also wanted to include that in the potential list so chris allen do you have a quick name for everybody the guy that i would think that has the most potential to bust is Mike Evans and if you just look at the Bucks from a wide receiver or from a pass catching perspective just an offense perspective actually like zoom even farther out just list off all the fo- all the people on the Bucks that are probably going to be catching passes from Tom Brady like this year I mean we start at the top with Mike Evans and you got Chris Godwin and Anto- like Antonio Brown Gio Bernard, he's throwing passes to Ronald Jones and Leonard Fournette, but we'll see if Gio gets most of the pass catching work. I mean, he's still got Rob Gronkowski. OJ Howard is still there. Cameron Braid is still there. I mean, everybody talks about Scotty Miller. Like, I mean, there's like Tyler Johnson. How, I mean, eight, nine, 10 like pass catchers just right off the rip that you can name like for the Bucks that could be a part of that squad or rotating in and out. And last season, despite the fact that I am a Mike Evans stan. Dude's had what seven straight seasons of more than a thousand yards, but he yeah, just made he just made it over the mark last season. Thousand and six, thousand and seven yards, if I'm remembering correctly. But the thing six. is, yeah, the thing that sticks with me though is the thirteen touchdowns. That's like thirty percent of his fantasy production was just based off of touchdowns last season. That is no way to sustain any sort of, I guess, efficiency or sustain any sort of production year over year. So unless you're thinking. Either his target share increases, which is less likely to happen now that he has Antonio Brown for the full season, Chris Godwin for the full season, all the rest of us pass catchers that are going to be there for the full season, which so I can't see that happening unless you think that his red zone target 
the percentage is going to up like kick up, which again, list all those pass catchers that are going to be there. It's hard for me to see him repeating what he did last season and also being able to pay off his fourth round, fifth round ADP at this point. It's just, it's too much for me right now. I would rather draft Antonio Brown at his cost, rather draft Gio Bernard. But again, that's my Cincy bias. But I would rather take any of those guys that are going later just because it's too difficult for me to bank on what should be an even target share distribution across at least the three primary wide receivers, like probably 20% for all three of them. And then we'll see what happens once they get into the red zone, which I can't really see Evans getting the majority of that work once they get into, you know, the green zone. Mm -hmm. So uh, I want to, you know, in this show, we like debates a little bit and I, you know, I want to offer somebody to rebuttal if they'd like to. I don't have a rebuttal because I'm on the same stance. Okay. Mr. Gone? Yeah, I mean, I guess Chris doesn't like the two catches, two touchdowns, four yards stat favorite. line. You yeah. know, like that. <laughs> I love that. You know, like, that's, that's, that's a perfect stat line. That, that's so easy to repeat, right? Yeah, two, two times two is four yards. Um, Yeah, big, I've always been a big Mike Evans fan, but, I mean, when you put it on paper, he has more weapons, you know, than I've ever seen in my life. Tom Brady's going to pick the open guys and pick the smartest guy. But I do feel like he really does trust Mike Evans. So um, as far as repeating a wide receiver one performance, it's definitely in the cards. But I, I can see where you're coming from, Chris. I'm, I'm up on the fence on this one because I'm a big Mike Evans fan and he always does put out. Mm-hmm. Tom Brady right now, he, he is not – I've said this plenty of times. He's not only record chasing. He's making sure his records can never be chased ever, 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 ever again. And uh, he doing like that petty of a dude. Yeah, he uh, is that petty. Yeah. And that's why I respect – and he also kisses a lot of people on the lips. But we're going to ignore that fact. Hey, that's – yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I'll, put, I'll, put, I'll put his take. It's more of – not Evans repeating. It's more of Brady being the top eight quarterback he was last year again. Mm-hmm. I wish and I could completely you see always, you. You always have that big target on your back coming off of the Super Bowl, right? So I feel, I feel, I feel that Brady will struggle more weeks out of out of night because I think he finished last year with, I think he only had six QB one fantasy finishes last year in the top mm-hmm. twelve. That sounds and, right, and I think he had four where he was fifteen or below. So he he was good one week, bad the other and that's why you saw Evans barely squeak over so if mm-hmm. Brady with more weapons now and Brady if Brady finishes QB8 I still don't think Evans repeats just because of the weapons that we're going to see all year now right and he's had so much more time with the preseason and offseason and everything coming into this year he's had so much more rapport Antonio Brown's there I mean they're roommates for God's sakes I feel right. like I feel like you know Antonio Brown's going to be a little bit underrated going into this year he's such a great value Yes. I agree with Chris. I'd rather have an Antonio Brown at ADP eight through ten, you know, round than you know round two through Mike Evans. So yeah, I, I see where you're coming from. I'm gonna I'm gonna have to have a minor disagreement. I mean, I'd rather have Mike Chris Evans. Godwin. I, I would, I'd much rather have Mike Evans than Chris Godwin. Now I do want to just a small little note. Mike Evans. I'm looking at a mock draft that, that I did earlier. Mike Evans went first pick in the fourth fourth round here so okay. i'm, I'm kind of i'm kind of just saying that this is a, about his adp rage early fourth round yeah that um, makes sense you know like i mentioned earlier he, he tom brady's gonna make sure nobody touches his records and uh, if, if that's gonna be the case somebody's gonna be catching touchdowns and uh, mike evans we saw last year he's gonna be that guy he's a big red zone threat people are gonna be looking at gronkowski a little bit in the red zone and uh, i think that opens up another big target we'll see i mean that's 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 completely in the cards but i was just saying that if you had to pick a guy 
in the first five rounds. Yeah. That's not going to make it. He's just going to do that stuck out. Yeah, because let's face it, making a list of this is not easy. Because it's, I mean, it's you, you look at your ADP list, you look at your mock drafts, and you look at the first five rounds, you're like, oh, that guy's a beast. That guy's a beast. That guy's a beast. This person's a beast. So, I mean, of right. course, you know, we're, we're kind of stretching it. I, I don't want to say we're stretching it because, of course, what you said was 100% realistic. But, I mean, it's not like barring, barring injury, none of these guys are going to be complete total bus but yeah not yeah. worth the adp you're drafting him at that i think that's the better way to characterize it because i think when folks when folks hear bust they're thinking like oh he's not even gonna be worth like a 10th round pick they said that ain't nobody saying that i'm just saying that it's entirely within the range of outcomes that instead of him let's say finishing in the top half or even like the you know top 24 of wide receivers well, I still think he might be top 24, let's say. But at towards the back end, though, I mean, he could be passed up by, I mean, Jerry Judy, who's going after him. Um, I think, like, T. Higgins is still being drafted after him, too. And the people yes. are, like, hype on like hype on him as well. I mean, Brandon Ayuk, any of the San Francisco guys, it's just, like, there are paths to him being lapped by some of those other guys that are being drafted after him. That's it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, for example, we talked about it before the show when I was kind of setting up like the basis, like Clyde Edwards earlier last year, he was taken, you know, in the first round, late first round. And mm-hmm. it, while he wasn't a bust by any means, he was definitely a little bit more disappointing to what everybody else was expecting. And that's kind of the, the, the standard we're trying to go off of for these picks. Now, Mr. Toby, what do you have for us? See, I'm glad you talked about Clyde Edwards earlier. He's not going to talk about. Okay, going to cool. be a guy that I think will replicate how his ADP jumped up last year. And it's Najee Harris from Pittsburgh because right now he's going as running back 11, according to fantasy pros. And I, 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 I'm, I personally got burned by CEH last year when he bumped up into the first, like second round turn and at pick 15, where his ADP is right now, I feel like that can get up to where he's going to be taken at that one, two turn. And that offensive line does not impress me. Ben Roethlisberger hasn't really impressed me much in seasons. And I know Pittsburgh loves to run the ball, but I I don't think the quality of touch – he may get a lot of touches, but I don't think the quality of touches, like a CH last year, like at the goal line, his quality of touch wasn't good. But I think before you get to the red zone, Harris's quality of touch isn't going to be good just because that offensive line has not got any better. And y'all can argue I've, – I've argued on Twitter all day about this, but <laughs> – no, you're not going to get any pushback from me. Now, now, could I see a scenario where, let's say, like a typical stat line for Najee Harris is like 12 carries for 60 yards, but then he's like, you know, six for 50 in the passing game. So from a PPR perspective, he winds up having like, you know, a 19, 20 point, you know, per game average. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But I share similar concerns with you in that, it's difficult for me to see how he winds up from a touchdown perspective because really that's what that's what you need from a running back that things wrapped that early. Yeah, a first round, so I mean high end running back. That's what you need. You need not just the carries, not just the receptions, but you also need the touchdowns in order to do it. And I cannot for the life of me peg the Pittsburgh offense at this point because some we're we're doing something wrong as a fantasy community, if we're drafting, so Najee Harris typically goes in the second round, Deontay Johnson and Chase Claypool are going in what the fourth, fifth round, and then Ben Roethlisberger is going way at the, you know back at the end of drafts. 
So something and Juju's what going in like the seventh round, eighth round, somewhere in there too. So we've got four skill position skill uh, skill position players going in, let's say the top one hundred ish of drafts right now. All of them require targets and receptions in order to pay off their ADP. But Ben Roethlisberger is going as like QB seventeen, QB eighteen. So something don't match. Some something doesn't match here. So either we've got Ben Roethlisberger wrong, or we've got at least one of those, one or two of those pass catchers wrong. And I don't know which way to go about it. So that's why I have the most concern with Najee because he's the most expensive of the bunch. Now, not well. The problem. I think what the fantasy community is right now is that there's lack of workhorse running backs. Like right now you got McCaffrey, you got Cook, Derrick Henry, Kamara. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you can potentially squeak in Nick Chubb, Saquon, and Jonathan Taylor. I think they're also in like a the tier two with Zeke also in that tier. And then after sure. that, there's kind of nothing. And I think people are trying to grasp at a potential tier one RB, a workhorse RB. And I think Najee Harris has the highest potential and then i know there's joe mixon and he is he's he's also up there as a potential workhorse but i mean right joe mixon actually has some nfl playing time there's stat on him there's tape on him and a lot of people are a little bit disappointed in him also considering he's been a little bit injured lack of production on offense offensive questions and all that good stuff so i think people are going for the potential of workhorseness that other rbs just don't have right now sure yeah but it, it, that's also another good point. You talked about Cincinnati with Higgins, Boyd, Chase, Mixon, but Burrow's not getting drafted as far down as Roethlisberger is, so we have more hope looking into the Bengals than we do the Steelers, but we have a running back from the Steelers that's going at the turn. We have Mixon that's going at round three, almost four now. Mm-hmm. now yeah. Right. I mean, you just, you just look at the Steelers. I mean, Big Ben has put out three – QB1 performances last four years if he stays healthy. Looks great. Lost weight. I mean, those are the reports. You see him in the preseason. Looks good. And then you have the the history of Tomlin and Ben and Le'Veon Bell. And I think people are trying to just slide Najee into that Le'Veon Bell role. And it's just, um, it makes sense. You know, you want that puzzle to work. Um, will it? I mean, it might. It really might. The workhorse role is going to be there. The volume is going to be there. You know, so I think a lot of a lot of people want that sure thing, like you were saying that, or that three down back that they can just plug and play and not have to worry about anything. And when they have a top, you know, QB one, you know, running the show over there in Big Ben, two time Super Bowl champ. I think they get that with Najee. So mm-hmm. now yeah, I, I think like. Like you mentioned earlier, is people are chasing the three down back, and just like how people were chasing Clyde Edwards Hilaire to be that three down back, trying to be the next Kareem Hunt and all that. I, I think that's what might be a mistake that the fantasy community makes is continually trying to chase a previous player's production in that role, assuming that new player can automatically include the old player's production hopefully that all that made sense and, and, and that's not necessarily a bad thing you know he might not be that player and that's not a bad thing and you could take advantage of that by taking him a little bit later like for example Clyde I'm looking at a mock draft I did earlier Clyde Edwards I drafted him in the third round and I thought that was phenomenal because in the first two rounds I can take different players I don't have to reach or you know sacrifice a different position and all that yeah, if I'm going uh, rounds one through five bus, we kind of talked about it the other day. I just don't think Antonio Gibson's the dude. Um, too many people just cutting into that workload. Like, I just feel like Brian Fitzpatrick is never supported in RB1. 
Um, I know the the footballers, like I said, they always hype him up, which is how he gets all that love. But with a J.D. McKissick, a Jared Patterson killing it in the preseason, and then a Peyton Barber always finding a way to sneak in, I just don't feel like he's going to be getting the targets because of J.D., um, the end zone, red zone because of Peyton Barber and Jarrett. And I just feel like he is going to get between the lines, between the 20s. But I just don't feel like he's going to have a RB1 performance like he did last year, you know, putting up 11 touchdowns. I think there's going to be a regression there. Um, that's my personal opinion on that. But um, what do you got? What do you guys think about that? I would take Gibson over Najee in every draft I do. That's that. That's I, I would. Yeah, I would. That's, 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 that, that's where we're different. Mm-hmm. But I can't that's call Najee a bust and not and take uh, taking. That's fair, Chris. I do think that there's that's one of the big questions that I have about this season, and for the life of me, it's it's already looking like. Were I think to be quite honest, and I think um uh, who was it? I think Rich Rebar like posted the like posed the same question. It almost feels like we're propping up the Washington team just as a whole, not just Antonio Gibson, but that entire team. When we're not really considering the downside to what could possibly happen, like and that and I think that's fine. I mean because I think talent winds up winning out in the in the end. And Antonio Gibson is talented. Terry McLaurin is talented. Logan Thomas is talented. I mean, all of those players are talented. But Ryan Fitzpatrick, like for all of his, for all of the good things that he that he's been able to do, he has been prone to completely imploding. He has been prone to just having these down games where he's pulled the whole offense down with him as well. So, are we really considering just this the possibility that while it might be through no fault of their own? The efficiency that, that, that we're, we're talking about right now that could wind up forcing Antonio Gibson to regress could come from that, like not necessarily, not even through anything that he does on, a, a, on not anything that Gibson does on his own, but it's just that if the whole offense isn't moving, isn't clicking like we're expecting it to, and now those targets start to go to, I mean, JD McKissick, we see more of an involvement in Logan Thomas. Curtis Samuel is there as well, so. I mean, even if like the other running backs aren't taking away his targets, we should we should definitely expect the other pass catchers in the offense to be taking it. So I, I'm I'm definitely of the mind that it's entirely possible that Antonio Gibson, for as excited as we are about like what he did towards the back end of last season, it'd be difficult for him to replicate, like just given the way that the, their offense is set up right now. Their offensive line isn't great as well towards the back half of the league in terms of the personnel that they're currently trotting out there. So it's just I could just see that being a case where he might have at least a few, uh, like a number of like a majority of good games, but not enough to pay off that ADP. It's a, it's entirely possible. Mm-hmm. Now, a lot a lot of people who have been frequent listeners know I absolutely hate Antonio Gibson, and uh, I'm not going to touch him with the ten foot pole. You guys mentioned a lot of phenomenal. Uh, reasons why I'm just going to add on that he averaged 55 yards per game, and that includes the two Dallas Cowboys game where he rushed for almost 150 yards for about four touchdowns total on that one. He had 11 touchdowns total last year. Uh, I don't need to go too much into it. Everybody already knows how much I dislike Antonio Gibson, but you you guys bring good points, Mr. Chris, on how the offense is going to change and evolve with Ryan Fitzpatrick. And that's because Alex Smith's not there to take a dunk to the RBs and just give him those free targets that uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick is not going to do. Gibson's uh, blocking ability is non-existent. And because of that, if he had pass blocking ability, Kyle Allen's leg wouldn't have broke. 
on one of his own whiff blocks. So, I mean, that's why JD McKissick had a sudden growth in opportunity and role. It doesn't, you know, it's not a coincidence that as soon as Antonio Gibson whiffed that block, Kyle Lang got injured, all of a sudden JD McKissick has a boom of a role in that offense. And I mean, people are showing clips of, wow, Antonio Gibson's pass blocking in practice. Well, I mean, of course he is. He's bad at it. He needs to practice. And that being said, I, I'm not buying him. Yeah, you don't get a name like Fitzmagic by giving it to the running back. Nah. He's a hero. He's a hero QB. You know, Alex yeah. Smith was a super impressive game manager who got the the running back involved when he needed to. So yeah, I'm 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 off I'm off the Gibson train. Everyone else can have him. I'll take Najee all day over Gibson. All right. I, I want to have one more question. I posed this question on my Twitter and got slack for it, but. Do y'all, out of y'all three, do y'all think we see Heineke at any point this season? It's possible. It's possible. I give it a oh, – yeah. Does 50, that change 50. any of your – Nah. McLaurin's, Gibson's, Thomas, Samuel, J.D.? No, not, not at really. least not for, not for me, no, because I still think that Heineke showed enough that if the – if it's a – like um, if it's like when – Fitzpatrick or Tua came out for Fitzpatrick, like right in the middle of the game type of thing, then all bets are off. But if they wind up doing, you know, after the game, they announce that Heineke's going to start the next week, he gets a full week of practicing in order to get timing down and whatever, then I don't think it's going to be that much of a shift in terms of the offense. I mean, we I mean, we saw him go toe-to-toe with the Bucks defense, not like six months ago. So I still think that it's, well, probably, yeah, definitely longer than six months ago, but still, you get the idea. I still think it's possible that Heineke could at least show enough depending on the matchup that they could keep, he could float like most of those guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, now McLaurin has produced with worse quarterbacks than both of them. So I'm, I'm not too worried right about him. Now I, I, I got to go with mine real fast and then we'll move on to the sleepers. Uh, Julio Jones. Now his, his forte was yards because we all know he didn't score touchdowns. His, his forte was yards and you know, he's taken basically Corey Davis's role. Now, is he better than Corey Davis? Of course he's better than Corey Davis, but you shouldn't expect that much of an increase in production from Corey Davis just from the standpoint of that offense. And Julio Jones, you know, he's a little bit injury prone. You know, it feels like after every big catch, he's grabbing the back of his hamstring, walking off the field, gets a massage real fast. He'll come back in, make another big play, rinse, rinse, and repeat after that. Uh, that's what I feel like it has turned to for his career. And because of that, I don't want somebody to take Julio Jones when he might not even be the alpha in that offense. He's definitely not the alpha if Derrick Henry's there. But, you know, in the wide receiving core, he might not be the alpha in that offense. And that being said, if, if you're not scoring touchdowns, then, you know, your fantasy production takes a huge hit and needs to be compensated by yards and receptions. And I'm afraid it just might not be there in the Tennessee Titans offense. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll sneak in here. You say he's not the alpha, but when they get off the team bus, it's always him off first. And then, <laughs> and then A.J. Brown falling right behind him. You know, I mean, A.J. Brown said it. That's like one of his idols right there. Yeah. Uh, I think I, I'm just saying he gets a lot of he gets a lot of slack. I know everyone like complains about his injury history, but he really hasn't. Besides last year, he really hasn't been injured that much um, in the past, like four years. Besides last year, he missed like three games. And although, you know, Atlanta did throw the ball a lot to him and he's a yard kind of guy. I think with the balanced offense, it might be a little less yards, a little bit more high performance, the touchdown region. Um, and that's just my good. But why, why, why is he going to have more touchdowns suddenly when, when they're, ha- they already have red zone threats. They got Derrick Henry. Ryan Tannehill has phenomenal legs in the red zone that he's proven works. AJ Brown, he, he punches it in. 
if Julio Jones doesn't score from outside the 20, how's he going to score a touchdown? Yeah, I just think because of that reason alone. I mean, you can't just stack Julio Jones every single game now. Derrick Henry is the king. Like, you have to account for him every single game. And it's just going to spread that defense out every game. You can't, you can't do that anymore. I mean, Todd Gurley was th- rushing for touchdowns last year on the Falcons. He had a phenomenal touchdown, uh, you know, percentage. Mm-hmm. Calvin Ridley was there. I mean, it's not like Calvin Ridley's a slouch. Uh, it, it's not like he's changing situations. It, it might be a little bit worse. It is worse. I mean, from a passing offense perspective, I'm not, I'm not sure where the production, the compensation is going to be from the potential lack of yardage. I don't know if it'll be a complete lack or a complete drop in yardage. I do think that it's fair to say that we can't count on him for a full, what now, 17 game season. I don't think anybody's accounting for any of that. Uh, but last season alone, I still, th- uh, if I'm remembering all of my stats correctly, Julio Jones was still top 12 in yards per target. He was still top 12 in terms of yards per route run. That's a pro football stat that looks at not just your current efficiency, but it's an indicator of future performance as well. So, I mean, even at his advanced age, he was still putting up, I mean, just elite numbers like for uh, for a wide receiver. And from a deployment standpoint, I'm really struggling to see how he doesn't wind up earning a 24, 25% target share, which matches what A.J. Brown had like last season assuming he's on the field. Now the health thing I could, again, I'll, I can totally understand him missing a few games like due to injuries and whatnot, which uh, yeah, at his age, that's entirely possible. But when he's out there on the field, how can you not pencil him in for, you know, a 24, 25% target share, which especially in an efficient offense, which we can most likely assume the Tennessee Titans to be this season. I mean, how do you not still put him in your wide receiver one, uh, at least, Think about him as a back end, like wide receiver one. I see most folks have him ranked in the, let's say, wide receiver, let's say 17, 18, like, you know, that area, which has kind of slipped a little bit just because of him not being able to participate in practice over the last like couple of weeks, which kind of falls in line with what we were talking about earlier with the injury concerns. But assuming he's healthy for the majority of the games, I'd be hard pressed to at least not look at him as a, I mean, back-end wide receiver one, high-end wide receiver two at the very least. And where he goes at in drafts, you can mitigate most of the risk of losing him for a few weeks because he'll wind up being your wide receiver three in most cases anyway, like based off of where he goes. Right now in the mock draft that I performed earlier, he went 311. That might be a little early. And, you know, super flex or non-super flex? This is one QB, uh, a half-point PBR. One QB half point PPR. Um, I, th- I think you know he'll drop a little bit. I th- mid fourth. I think that's as far as he goes. That being said, I would rather have a Robert Woods. I would rather have a Cooper Cup. Yep. I'd rather yep. have Mike Evans. I'd rather have a Keenan <laughs> Allen. Uh, for for sure, I'd had. I'd rather have Keenan Allen. Oh yeah, that's not even the question. Um, Godwin. Godwin. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mentioned Godwin. You make case for Godwin too. Yep, yeah, absolutely. Uh, CD Lamb. Actually, I think I might go Julio over CD Lamb. Really? Wow. Yeah, now that's interesting. I think yeah, I take CD, CD over all the guys you just named. No, 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 no. no. Yeah, it's tough for CD me. CD Lamb. CD Lamb is like there's a lot of mouths to feed out there in Dallas, and they're still a run first team. Really? We'll see. I, I think I think they still got to be run first. I think they need to mitigate Dak's potential injury risk. I mean, while while their defense probably still sucks. 
I think they're going to try to run the ball to slow down the uh, slow down the game a little bit, try to milk the clock, try to make it so their defense is holes, you know, don't stack up so much. But I mean, of course, we'll see. All right, so let's go over to the sleepers. Of course, you know, these are people that, you know, are going to have everyday fantasy, not everyday, sorry, every week fantasy impact on your roster, roughly around 10 or higher in the ADP chart. That's kind of where I was going for. I felt like any any less might be a little bit too easy, 10 or higher. Uh, you know, I had a I had a side note. No, J.D. McKissick is not a sleeper. I don't know <laughs> if you guys are going to agree with me on that one, but we'll start it off with Chris. Uh, sleeper. I mean, man, who's really considered a sleeper nowadays? I feel like everybody's on Twitter so much that nobody can really be considered a sleeper at this point. Um, if you want to go, I mean, if because I like Jamison Crowder, I thought he was a pretty decent sleeper, to be quite honest. Um, but I would say that one of the sleepers that I've been looking at like quite quite a bit at the back end of drafts um, has been uh, Donovan Peoples-Jones like for Cleveland. Um, I know a lot of folks want to look at the fact that I mean, Cleveland primarily been a run first offense. Uh, but if you actually look at their neutral passing rates over the last uh, the last six weeks of the season, after those two bad weather games in weeks like 10 and 12, uh, their neutral passing rate ticked up to about like 56 percent. Red zone passing rate also ticked up to about 54 percent. On top of that, uh, Baker Mayfield also finished last season uh, as at sixth in terms of deep ball rate. So all of that like lines up well with a guy like Donovan People Jones, which we saw from like his, I mean, not track like star like type, but uh, the athleticism that's there, the speed that's there. I think he profiles as a guy that you would want to stash at the back end of your drafts because even if Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry are still there, like they're the one and two, like absolutely don't get me wrong. But that third wide receiver. I mean, he offers more upside, like to uh, like to your roster, like than Rashard Higgins, who not to say anything bad about Rashard Higgins, I thought he performed well in Odell's absence last year. But if you are looking for some punch at the back end of your roster, like Peoples Jones has been one of the guys I've been targeting quite a bit, especially in best ball drafts. Now he said that uh, people are saying they run first. Actually, uh, you know, I decided to pull up some statistics for you real fast. So Cleveland ran the ball forty nine point seven percent of the time. So technically, they're pass first. They're fifty three percent passing. I know the some only, people think that yeah. because of Stefanski, but that's mm-hmm. actually not true. Yes. So the only teams that actually ran the ball more than pass is the Tennessee Titans, the Patriots, and of course the Ravens. Now I'm sure if the Niners actually had a healthy roster, they might be closer to the top, if not near it. But I mean, of course, uh, you know, we won't talk about what happened for the Niners last year, but, uh, to being said, yeah, I mean, th- th- there is enough to go around on the Browns for Donovan Peoples Jones to get his piece and, Odo Beckham, who isn't exactly the most healthy player out there, who uh, actually gets injured a lot. He's never played a full season, actually. Um, he's going to get hurt. You know, unfortunately, I, I hate to say it, but he's going to get hurt eventually. And uh, Donovan Peoples-Jones is a phenomenal person to stash on your roster. And and I'll add to that what I was saying earlier about Zach Wilson in year two of, like, his own scheme with Stefanski. This is Baker's year two in that zone scheme with Stefanski. So, Mm-hmm. You see an uptick for Baker, and that'll allow that wide receiver, receiver three, which is probably going to be DPJ, to get more targets and be able to have more catches and more of a role. Over Higgins? I've, I've, I can see Higgins and DPJ splitting time. 
I feel like Higgins didn't show us quite enough last year. Higgins had an opportunity. OPJ was gone. Higgins had uh, his chance to be a wide receiver too, and he, he let that slip away. And I mean, at this I mean, point, I mean, you gotta let somebody it, else. It took the Browns a while to re-sign him when he didn't go somewhere else. Yeah, they, they were trying their best not to re-sign him. Unfortunately, uh, they just had to at that point. So, uh, Toby, do you have anybody? Uh, I'm gonna go down to new up to New England and say Jacoby Myers. I think he's gonna be the PPR machine, New England, especially if Mac Jones is gonna be the starter. Even if with Cam, we saw with Cam Newton last year. He is. He can be the wide receiver one for that team, and I'm not much. I'm not that high on Aguilar and Kendrick Bourne, who they brought in. He will lose some of his target share to Johnny Smith and Hunter Henry, but I still deep down he's still going late in drafts, and I feel like he's a great value where he's going, and I think he's going to get the targets to uh, pay off the price, way pay off the price that he was at right now. Let's see. I don't know. Nelson Aguilar, he is the baby dropper. He always has my respect for that nickname. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. Any, any input? Uh, no, I absolutely love Jacoby Myers. Uh, I think he was top eight in terms of yards per route run against man coverage, top six in yards per route run against zone coverage, if I'm remembering the statistics correctly. And that was with Cam Newton essentially being in the what COVID fog, whatever you want to call it wound up with, I think, a 25 or 26% target share last season. And now completely contextualized that because they didn't have the, I mean, there was less people in New England last year, right? They didn't have Johnny Smith, Hunter Henry, didn't bring over Nelson Aguilar. I mean, there was just less mouths to feed, the cliche, right? So I'm, I'm still all aboard like Jacoby Myers in this season, despite the fact that I mean, there are more pass catchers there going to be available for him. And if Mac Jones is the one that winds up starting in week one, which all indications are that that's that's where we're headed towards at this point, then, yeah, all, all systems go for Jacoby at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Now, all right, Mr. Donster, what you got for me? Yeah, I'm trying to think of someone that I really like that is not really getting a bunch of hype right now. I feel like Robert Tanyan, um, tight end Green Bay Packers, I feel every time that I watch a Green Bay Packer interview, he's always coming up. He calls him Bob. He definitely was a red zone threat, 11 touchdowns last year. His targets weren't through the roof, but, I mean, he kind of came on a little bit later. So I feel like Aaron trusts him. He's going to be a big part of the offense, and they do not have a solidified wide receiver, too. It might be Randall Cobb, but it might be Robert Tanyan. So um, someone that a lot of people are just really aren't talking about right now, and especially for a tight end, he could really creep into those high, maybe even like a tight end three this year. Um, so I'm going to go with Bobby Tanya. Mr. Baby Kittle. He had, a, like you mentioned, 11 touchdowns last year. Uh, I mean, it, it's hard to rely on touchdowns, but when you're on the Packers, you know you're going to be in the red zone. You know there's going to be opportunity just to score. And then, of course, Robert Tanyan has been one of – Roethlisberger's favorite, not Roethlisberger's, uh, Rogers' favorite targets in the red zone. I think that's a, I really like Robert Tunyon a lot. I like he gets, lot. he gets lumped in a lot to the touchdown regression, like we said for the past two years about Aaron Jones. And people don't think he can withstand that. But I think even with more targets, because they didn't bring in anybody. So, and Rogers mm-hmm. is coming back. So his ADP isn't getting talked about enough. Yeah, I think so too. Because after, because I thought it was funny that after, Rodgers announced he was coming back. You saw uh, Devontae Adams' ADP kick up, Aaron Jones' ADP kick up, but like even like AJ Dillon's like ADP also kick up. 
But Tunyon says like relatively like stayed the same for the most part. And I think it's because of that reason you pointed out. It's like everybody sees the number of touchdowns are like, nah, like, you know, just label him a regression candidate and just be out. But why can't he mitigate some of that regression with more targets, which I'm thinking that that's most likely what's going to be the case. Because even if like, I know the buzz is around MVS at this point and him kind of really ascending into that wide receiver tool role opposite Devante, but really they don't have a solid like middle of the field like type of guy. Like they tried to turn Alan Lazard into that last season that worked out for a spurt, but he's not really, I guess, showing out as much as we would want. But Robert Tunyon has been like the talk of camp, like over the last like couple of weeks where I remember a number of beat reporters saying that if it gets thrown Tunyon's way, he's coming down with that ball. So I can see his target share kicking up to what, 16, 17, 18%, which I think he ended last season, like around like 11, 12% somewhere in there. So if that's the case, I really don't care. Like if the touchdowns, even if his touchdowns are six, seven, eight touchdowns, if he winds up with more targets, then let's go. I would, I'd be more than happy to take him as my tight end one in drafts. Yeah, well, right now with MVS and Lazard, I just kind of want to put out a quick stat is that when they're on the field, Aaron Rodgers is more likely to throw the ball away than to throw to those receivers' side. There's a statistic that showed that he throws the ball away more than targets those receivers. Uh, if that is your argument for drafting an MVS or a Lazard, I really wish you're in my league. And uh, I hope I play you every single week. But, I mean, of course, it's not going to be the case. But I'll take the free win when I do match up against you. Yeah, I'll take Robert Tanyan over uh, either wide receiver that Aaron Rodgers has to target. There, There is one name on your top interfaces, like your ESPN, Yahoo, NFL. Russell Gage's ADP has not been fixed yet if you're drafting this week, this weekend. He's still very low down there. I think he's got the wide receiver two slot in Atlanta sealed up. They're going to throw a lot. He's a great value where he's at there. But on sleeper, the sleeper app, he's been bumped up. So so right now I'm looking at my draft. Russell Gage went 14-1. Robert Tunyon, wow. for reference, went uh, 10-3. So he went just barely early in the 10th round. And, and let's face it. When, when we talk about these late round sleepers, you have no – um, investment tied into them. You can cut your losses. Mm-hmm. It's not like it matters. Oh, I cut a ninth rounder. I cut a tenth rounder for somebody yeah. else. It's it's not going to hurt your team. Chances are they were going to be cut anyway. Uh, I always encourage people to look back on previous drafts and look how many players that they drafted at the end of the draft stayed on their actual rosters. I guarantee you maybe one of the seven picks from seven and under are still on your roster. I mean, you're always going to be working the waiver wire. There's going to be injuries transitions different scenarios are going to play out chances are they're not going to be on your roster so i i try to tell people not to stress out over these two picks because unless you hit a grand slam they're not going to be on your roster for that long and some of these picks can turn into great trade bait too, trade value uh-huh, uh-huh. After I, too. i'll always recommend to take a kicker or a defense before you take one of these flyers because i mean young hoku he's an rb1 niners defense or ravens defense they're basically like a tight end one a, uh, a best case scenario is you take a start kicker that you're going to be starting every week, a starting defense you start every week, and then worst case scenario is just like the flyer, you drop them and pick somebody else. You're still not invested in those either. And like to- and like Toby said about the ADP thing, I mean, like a James Robinson, James Robinson, I don't think that's been adjusted yet either. So that's probably slipping through the cracks for a lot of drafts as well, especially in like public leagues. So I just keep an eye on you know where he's getting drafted and try to kind of pick him up in the you know fourth round ish. That that'd be my opinion. 
Of course, you want to follow the Sleeper Wire show on Twitter where you get all your updates on different shows, the great debate, Dynasty Wire, and all that good stuff. And, of course, you want to support the Patreon because, of course, as everybody knows, we are a charity podcast. So any support to us will be supporting a phenomenal cause. Now, Chris Allen, of course, I mentioned your Twitter earlier. But where can everybody find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Chris Allen FFWX. But if you want to find any of my written work, uh, primarily I'll be at four for four during the season, uh, writing the quarterback streaming column on a week to week basis. But then I'll also be doing work at football guys, doing some dynasty work and also some like video work over there, uh, along with the column there. And then also uh, NBC Sports Edge. I'll be writing the uh, Thursday night preview, if I'm not mistaken. So, yeah, three sites. Come find me. You know, yell at me for my bad takes and all that if you want to. Oh, yeah. I'll definitely be there. I'll be trolling you everywhere I can. Now, Mr. Toby, how about you? Uh, I do graphics for Real Deal Fantasy, Triple Play Fantasy, Run Boys Fantasy Network. Uh, with Triple Play Fantasy, we have a podcast that comes out every Monday. We're going to be talking about waiver wire picks. It's called the Tripwire Pod. That's where you can find me. And if anybody needs a thumbnail, article, for article, YouTube video, whatever, just DM me. You know what? I'm actually going to have to do that. Now, first, Mr. Corleone. Yeah, I mean, the Don Corleone 7. That's going to be my Twitter um, handle. Don't really have much uh, other social media than that. It's my third podcast ever. So just want to, you know, shout out Sleeper Wire, Hoos, you, Nader, Chris Allen, you're a boss. Toby, you're the man. I appreciate you guys. All right. Other than that, hey, good luck, everybody. Yeah.